0: the war nomads podcast it's not your usual travel podcast it's everything for the adventurous independent traveler
1: Thanks again for tuning into our podcast delivered by World Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand, covering more than half a million travellers. I'm Kim, and the man sitting across from me is Phil, who's kept our listeners waiting two weeks for the answer to his travel quiz question. Phil. Uh,
2: yeah, sorry, we got a bit carried away with episode three on Panama, dancing to Jimmy Bad Boy, and uh, I think we just forgot, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, a reminder of the question, there are seven Central American nations. Of those seven, how many have just one coastline? The answer no waiting to the end of the show the answer is two uh it's belize and el salvador i oh. hope you will feel much better now knowing that that you can breathe easy now right yeah
1: i can hear travel podcast fans taking a collective sigh of relief now we will make sure we get your quiz question for this episode shortly and the answer by the end of it but we're about to take a journey to iceland
2: Yeah, look, I think we all know where Iceland is. I think it's on everybody's bucket list at the moment, isn't it? It's absolutely rich in literature, arts and music. And, of course, it's got that amazing backdrop of all the fields and the glaciers and the waterfalls and the northern lights. It's remaining a very isolated country. It's not actually, well, it's getting easier, but it's been very difficult to get it for quite a while. So the languages stay very pure and close to its roots. And apparently it's the closest you can get to Old Norse. Uh, today mostly English is spoken but it's always nice to be able to say place names properly and Good to be armed with some simple phrases, isn't it?
1: Yeah. That's why we've been dreading the aspect of exploring this beautiful country. <laughs> In fact, Icelandic Tourism Group, an Icelandic tourism group called Inspired by Iceland, even launched a campaign to help travellers called the A2O of Iceland. Now, it refers to the 32-letter Icelandic alphabet. Of course, we have 26. The song is performed by an Icelandic comedian and it aims to encourage travellers to learn the Icelandic equivalent of an A to Z or A to Z guide. So take a listen. This is the A to of Iceland. So try to sing along. This is the A to of Iceland. Where
3: like cozy. cozy oh, don't, don't forget, forget for Before you go before and, you
0: play. and play You might see, you might a, see a dwarf by. bear I Or hike through. can't I say
3: that You might say you, have to you be Because, because be that's my dad Papi And you, you can
4: Bill. Biller, Gullin, I
0: said that right, I think.
4: He the He's Bill green. very
1: green.
4: He's green.
3: He he seen up, up, seen the sheep
0: been
2: around. ungracious be and they best, best friend. And they've
3: always, and they've always had this
0: fool's. This
3: is
5: the A to Ovalsland so try
2: Oh, that's got to be the hardest karaoke song in the world, hasn't
1: it? to old of Iceland. I won't be able to get that out of my mind.
2: Uh, look, I always think, you know, like, if, even when I'm doing French accents, I try to pretend I'm Inspector Clouseau, and you get it right. So I am doing my best Icelandic voice. <laughs> well,
1: you're a lot better than me. Look, one of our guests mentions a must-see spot in Iceland during this podcast, and I get Phil to test the pronunciation with another of our guests, and trust me, you'll enjoy the outcome. So let's have a look at who is on the podcast about Iceland. Ingo
2: <laughs> do you want me to help you there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, would
1: you mind? I, I'd practice this.
2: Ingolfur Bjorg Bjargmanson. Ingolfur Bjargebanson. Bjarge Ingo, Bjarge Ingo, how are you, mate?
1: Beautiful. Ingo is an Icelandic man, obviously, and won the World Nomads Photography Scholarship to Peru. You and Callan, manager of Iceland's What's On Tourist Information, we chat about music, street art, and Iceland making the World Cup for the first time. Awesome. Kenzie Tillotson from Five Take Flight. Now, they're a family that sold their house to travel to, well, destinations around the world. I'm not sure how many they'll fit in within their 12-month period. But first stop was Iceland with their Icelandic nanny. And we check in with Professor Leon Lack on seasonal affective disorder and some tips to beat jet lag. Plus, we've got Phil's travel news, Ask Phil and Phil's quiz question.
2: Tell me, Kim, when you think of Iceland, you picture barren, windswept plains, right? Yep. But once, Iceland was covered in forests. About 40% of it was Seriously. wooded. Seriously. So my quiz question is today, what happened to the forests? Where'd they all go? All will be revealed, I promise, at the end <laughs> of the show. Sure. Or maybe not, depends how we feel. <laughs>
1: Ewan Callan is the manager of Iceland's What's On Tourist Information. Now, we chat street art, which I absolutely love, so I was thrilled to find during the researching of Iceland that it's filled with it, the music scene. And I had to kick off, though, with the the language and ask how travellers cope.
5: How do travellers cope with the language? Well, the one thing about Iceland is that uh, if you ever met an Icelandic person who didn't speak excellent English, then I'd be very surprised. Everybody in Iceland speaks English. So, with regards to the language, I think the only problem that people have is with the road signs, you know, in reality. But it's a very, it's a very difficult language.
1: Well, we'll put that to the test, actually, later in the podcast with Phil. But, and when I was researching Iceland, I was really super surprised to find it has a large street art scene. Look, I knew about Iceland's music culture, but not the street art scene.
5: Okay, basically, of course, we always have to remember that Iceland's population is three hundred and thirty thousand approximately and two-thirds of those are living in Reykjavik, which is the one and only city. So it's almost like you have the wilderness and we've stuck a city in the wet southwest corner. Uh, here in, the, in this city, you, if you walk down the main street, and the, really the downtown is super small, you might see a lot of tagging and stuff, which might give the impression there's a lot of, uh, you know, a relative amount of graffiti, yeah? But also on top of that, there's a lot of street art, like you say. And if you talk to the guys who are doing the street art today, they will tell you they were the kids that were tagging, you know, 10 years ago. And usually it's not a lot of kids that are doing it. But there's some international people come here. I know there's a a couple of really big black and whites that have been done by an Australian street artist. And... uh, yeah, Downtown Reckoning today, it's used also as a means of art by uh, pretty much all walks of life up to the city council. Uh, and also, for example, on the side of the house we have, there's an alley with a little bit of graffiti, and eventually we will get some street artists to do something cool. Because, of course, once you put street art up, or call it what you will, nobody else will touch it. You know, they, they'll, they'll leave it alone out of respect, yeah. etc. So, yeah, there's a lot of street art, and it's quite uh, common that people are asking about where it is, etc. We have to write an up-to-date blog uh, as well, an article, for, because literally it's quite popular, people asking about it. Basically, Iceland punches way above its weight with regards to uh, music. Uh, Björk is almost like, uh, you know, she's old school now, uh, she's been around for so long, and Sigur and these sort of bands... Uh, of course, there's a the big music festival here called Iceland Airwaves. And there, there's a lot of young up-and-coming bands play there. But yeah, there's a—I would say the Icelandic music seems incredibly healthy and does very well. But it's almost like it's the same thing like the Icelandic soccer team, football team, going to the World Cup. There's a couple, couple of things definitely where Iceland punches above its weight.
1: Just on Iceland making the World Cup, a policy that was introduced to curb smoking and drinking among teenagers has actually been credited with helping Iceland achieve the spot. Now, under-16s have a curfew. They play sport four times a week at least. They're given money to put towards sport and sporting equipment. So I was keen to find out from you and Phil just how progressive Iceland is socially and indeed politically.
5: Is it progressive? I would say it's organic, yeah, I mean, in Iceland, if you talk about politics and things, it's very see-through. You know, there are no, uh, there are only glass walls, you know, there's no walls. Everybody knows everybody. And uh, the politics is very, uh, it's very kind of communal thing, because everybody knows the people who are the politicians, etc. As for being progressive, Iceland has the same problems as everywhere else. Maybe we just talk them through better than some others sometimes. With regards to this policy, you're talking about the youth policy, etc. The thing about the Icelandic uh, society, if you take the UK, for example, in the 60s and 70s, and it's probably the same for Australia, uh, people your parents' age, whatever, uh, they would talk about how it was all about family values. Well, here in Iceland, it's all about family values still. And the kids, if you go to a party... For example, if you and I go to a party, the most boring question you ask if somebody you don't know is what they do for a job. But in here in Iceland, if we ask that, the second thing we ask is what do your kids do? And by that, we mean what sports do they do? Because all the kids are doing sports, etc.
1: Now, Phil, we'll be told in this episode that Iceland is one of those countries being overrun by tourists. And you've read that and heard that too, haven't you? Yep,
2: absolutely. Spoke uh, to some people about it the other day, yeah.
1: Yep. Well, not according to you and
5: I'm originally from Scotland. That my lady wife is Icelandic, but I've lived here for 16 years. I, the, Iceland's not been overrun with tourists. Not at all. There just weren't many tourists at all, say, even 10 years ago. If you, There's a lot of... Tourism is a big part of the economy now, but it's not been overrun by tourists. It depends where you go. If you want to see tourists, you will see tourists. But in, in relation to other things, like... If you talk about being uh, somewhere like the Grand Canyon in the United States or Ayers Rock in Australia and the number of tourists you might see there on any given day, it's nothing like that here.
1: Okay, well, finally, why should we visit Iceland, Ewan?
5: Uh, It's a fantastic country. Definitely come here. Uh, Ignore anything you read about being too many tourists because that's just a kind of popular thing to write today about Iceland. Uh, uh, If if you want to get... It's very, very easy to access the wilderness and see a lot of things in the space of, say, five days. And you can drive around the country, the whole country, around the coast in comfortably in, in one week, which is a fantastic trip.
1: Thanks for that, Ewan. And there will be links to Ewan's website in show notes. I'm going to try it. Ingo Bjørn Munsen. No, it's a bit German.
2: Biodmundsson. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: Icelandic and won the World Nomads Photography Scholarship in, or to Peru, three years ago. Now, Phil, lucky man, you went along with Ingo, and in this chat, you talk about that experience, along with some of the places to capture and great pics in Iceland.
2: Ingo, Bjarge Munson, the Iceman, welcome. Great to talk to you, mate. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's nice to hear
0: from you. Uh, it's been uh, too long
2: been too long mate and look and speaking of that because um you know you and i uh were in peru together because you won the world nomads photography scholarship that year and uh what did you think i i mean you know a man from iceland going to peru what what were you expecting and was it anything like you thought
0: it would be yeah, i mean it was uh, it was fantastic it was uh, it's very different uh, very different from iceland it's uh uh, I, I mean, I loved it.
2: Okay. Well, look the, on the trip. First of all, we went uh, around Cusco and the Sacred Valley, and into uh, the Amazon Basin. Where seriously, mate, I thought we were going to melt you.
0: Yeah, it was. It was pretty hot, and it's. Uh, uh, I remember we, we we took a walk, walk uh, a, a two hours walk up a, a hill. Or where they were collecting
2: Brazil nuts. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 The Brazil nuts, and that was. That was pretty tough. I think it's one of the hottest days there. And uh, when we came back down, I was feeling a bit woozy. I I, I didn't drink as much water as I should have done. But, uh, yeah, I was. Uh, that was the toughest day. I'm having a
2: guess here, but I think you probably enjoyed the uh, experience around, especially taking photographs around uh, Cusco and the Sacred Valley. That, am I right there? That was your favourite bit?
0: Definitely, yeah. I think, uh, I, I mean, I had the gear for that, at least. But uh, the uh, the Amazon is a bit tougher. You have to have, uh, uh, well, more expensive gear. You have to have a good uh, telephoto lens and uh, a good uh, macro lenses. And uh, I really didn't have that.
2: When we were in uh, the Sacred Valley and we went up to the Amaru community up there and the Pachamama ceremony. Now, I know there's, you know, a kind of a spirituality about... Iceland as well with trolls and what have you. The Pachamama uh, ceremony, did that sort of strike a chord with you?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, these are people that are trying to actually to keep alive uh, their traditions, you know, and and they're uh, changing a lot. There is uh, more tourism there like it's like like here in Iceland and and I think uh, it's well worth preserving uh, all those old traditions.
2: I'm going to put a uh, photograph on the show notes of you and I we are in traditional uh Andean costume Peruvian costume and tucking into a bit of guinea pig.
0: Yeah, that that was different. But uh I I'm I'm I mean I'm uh, used to eating strange things like we uh we eat uh, sheep, sheep heads here and we eat the testicles and, and, and I mean, the, the whole sheep is, is basically eaten here. And, and I, I mean, I like this kind of food, but uh, the younger generation isn't as much into it as, uh, as I am. And the guinea pig, I mean, it uh, it was okay. Okay, you know, we're talking
2: about the, you know, you 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 love your sort of traditional Icelandic food, and you're you're saying to me some of those traditions are in danger of being lost in in your homeland in Iceland. Is that right? I mean, I was reading the other day that something like two million visitors came to Iceland last year.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's been uh, crazy the past. Yeah, let's say. Uh, about the uh, past seven, eight years. I mean, it's growing too fast, I think.
2: And they're all crowding into the same spots to take those same photographs, I imagine. Mate, I, I mean, we are friends on Facebook, so I, I see you still take some beautiful photographs around Iceland, but is that getting harder and harder to find the desolation?
0: Yeah, definitely, yes, it is. Uh, but still, there are some places like uh, up north and the Westfjords that are still uh, less crowded.
2: Where are some of the places where you go to go and get those fabulous shots you have?
0: I, I didn't realise how lucky lucky I am. I went to the Grand Canaries uh, this summer and they don't have one waterfall there. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was uh, uh, I mean, kind of a revelation for me. We have uh, thousands of them.
2: There's some series of very famous waterfalls on the south coast. What are they called? What's the proper name for them?
0: The, the, if, if you take the south coast, the first waterfall, the, the big one is probably Foss. And then you, uh, when you head more uh, longer, along the coast, then you'll have uh, uh, Skowarfoss. And then you have the uh, Glacier Lagoon. And that's uh, Jökulsálon, up north, if you want to go be more by yourself, then I would recommend uh, areas around
2: Akureyri. There's a canyon, uh, and I think it is, uh, okay, I'm going to embarrass myself now, right? (laughs) (laughs) Bjardsgolf? No? No, I've got it completely wrong, right? (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm not. It's not ringing any bells.
2: Oh, okay. Fair enough. i probably made it up. (laughs) (laughs) Ingo, fantastic to talk to you, mate, and um, great to see that you're still taking photos. I I hope that the photography scholarship that you won was something that you remember fondly and helped you with your photography.
0: Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, it was was tough. It was a great experience. I would highly recommend it.
1: That's awesome to hear Ingo and by the way the next World Nomads Photography Scholarship opens August 2018. Now it's time, as we do in each episode, to check in with our World Nomads.
0: I started travelling, I was like a very young around Brazil and then I come to Australia, my first country. I wanna keep in traveling.
5: I love meeting new people, experiencing new cultures and seeing new things. Just it's incredible. Do it. If you have the opportunity and financial, you know why not it's humbling
2: drop everything spend six months or a year and travel around see if it's for you
5: you learn to just be more rounded as a person when you go and travel if there's anything i could tell you to do is to just go see the world while you can and well in one lifetime yeah now
1: do you like the idea i've got to tell you i do of taking off and touring the world
2: absolutely i always want to do it it's like just how do you get it organized and I know, you pull your finger around and do it. You just
1: do it. That's you it. absolutely do it, with kids or not. And we're talking about a family that did exactly that, including visiting Iceland. Kenzie Tillotson and her family have bitten the bullet, pulled their finger out, as you say, Phil, and they did it. Let's find out more.
4: We are a family of five, and we sold our house to travel the world for a year. Uh, it's me, my husband, and we have three kids. Porter is six. Beckett is four and Ren is one. And when we decided to do this, we reached out on social media through a video asking for help, a travel nanny to come along to help with the boys' schooling. It ended up going viral. So we ended up getting 24,000 applications. So we ended up picking a gal named Alexandra. And she is with us and traveling with us. She's here.
1: Hi. <laughs> hey, Alexandra. I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting to you because of course this podcast is about Iceland and you're from Iceland. Yes, I am. Is this like the perfect job? <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is my dream job. But the dreams do come true. <laughs> Kenzie, is it the perfect life? A, a year on the road with, with three children. What are, what are some of, what are some of the pros and cons of this adventure?
4: I would say it's the perfect life for me, but I would say it's not for everybody. The pros of traveling with kids, it forces you to slow down. For example, we went to the Milan Cathedral. I'm trying to show them this cathedral. That's all I'm I'm trying to show them, the architecture. I'm trying to show them the different styles. They have zero interest. All they want to do is go feed the pigeons that are in front of the cathedral.
1: So by opening the world up to you, to your children and those simple things, what kind of adults are you hoping to, to raise?
4: Individuals who are really accepting outlook on different cultures and beliefs. We don't want them to be closed-minded in any way because in this digital world, everything is shrinking and we want people especially our children to have tolerance for all different ways of life and to realize that there are a lot of different ways to live and be happy there's not just this one way to be to be happy there's not just this one country to live in to be happy we want them to realize that there are a lot of great people in the world and they come from very diverse backgrounds and most of the time we won't be able to relate or understand but it doesn't make it any less valuable
1: what are your tips to not just families but you know even couples that that think it's it's too hard to do to to pick up and explore
4: the world what would you say I would say it is a daunting task. And instead of listing reasons why you shouldn't, I would list reasons why you should. That's what we did.
1: And what's the end goal? I can't imagine you, you know, back home putting putting the trash out.
4: (laughs) (laughs) The end goal... I mean traveling is a big dream for us but the end goal the most important thing to me is to have a healthy and happy family honestly. There are so
1: many questions and we could probably be here for a couple of hours I'd like to ask about packing how do you go (laughs) carrying all that stuff (laughs) and and you're laughing so is it a bit of an issue?
4: Oh my word it's we're (laughs) laughing because packing and unpacking is tiring. And so what I tell myself in my mind is I don't have to clean a house. I don't have to scrub a floor. I don't have to do this. My chores are packing and unpacking. (laughs) But it's also a joke because we try and have this competition between us on who has the lightest bag. (laughs) So my husband's bag is always overweight, <laughs> always overweight and hurt. We are always looking at each other saying, what is in there? Like, why is his bag so heavy? <laughs> so we always have these ongoing little jokes, jokes yeah. of packing and unpacking <laughs> and well
1: there is a section on packing on your website which we will share in the, uh show notes plus videos and the countries that you visited we're doing this podcast on iceland so because of mm-hmm. alex is that the reason why you
6: visited so
4: when we decided to do this trip i wanted to start out with as short as flight as possible <laughs> to break the kids into long flights so we went from New York and then we thought what's the shortest flight out of New York and it was Iceland (laughs) it was a four-hour flight so we thought let's go to Iceland and then from there we can jump into Scandinavia which is only to Finland it was another couple hours and so that was my initial motivation but also we had done some research previously and we had always wanted to go to Iceland we didn't necessarily think we would do it with our children but we had always dreamt of going there for the hiking because we're into the outdoors
1: iceland i wouldn't have thought of it as as a place that would have great hiking oh
6: no definitely yeah we've got loads of great hiking it's um there's a lot of mountains in iceland and you'll the land of fire and ice we've got volcanoes and glaciers and ice so it's um, yeah it's got a diverse landscape
1: this is a thorny topic for the for the podcast on Iceland have you got any advice for travelers on dealing with the language you know even in researching this I'm thinking I can't talk to anyone I don't know how to say anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of <laughs> oh my word. what 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 are, what are the tips I mean It's. it seems to be an incredibly difficult language to read. Oh, it
6: is. And I would say don't be hard on yourself, you know, because any Icelander knows how difficult it is. And, you know, I was telling Kenzie and Derek, you know, every single noun in Iceland has about, like, eight different forms, right? So just the single word, like, horse, it's different depending on where in the sentence it is. My name, it changes in Icelandic, right? So depending on what... So if you're saying to Alexandra you say til alexandru. Like it's a completely different way. So it's it's such a complicated language that no one can be expected to know <laughs> anything. Just no tak, just tak,
1: which means thank you. For a traveler, can you recommend some of those things that if you picked up a brochure, um, you would never see. But you would say as somebody that, that grew up there that you've got to see this or experience this or do this. So it's
6: tough because a lot of Iceland has, because obviously Iceland has had a huge increase in tourism, right? So I feel a lot of these unexplored hidden gems have been exposed. I mean, personally, the only one I can think of that isn't talked about as much is Fjaldriar which is on the way to the Glacial Lagoon. And I don't think everyone goes there. Okay,
1: let's just stop there. How did Alex pronounce that name? (laughs) Now Phil?
2: Bjadsgolf?
1: Alex? Phil?
2: Yards gold? No,
1: (laughs) no, a massive fail. You don't like? That's what it was spelled like. (laughs) Look, I do feel like I've stitched you up. Other than saying Ingo's name, I've pretty much yeah.
2: We've avoided everything.
1: (laughs) I know. Three cheers for me! All right, let's pick up our chat with a recommendation from Alex on a great place to eat (laughs) called Glow. GLO. So this is what the locals normally go to because
6: it's a healthy food at an affordable, you know, price tag. Another box you've
1: ticked is thing. the fact that you can say it and spell it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Kenzie, how did you find Iceland as a traveler? It was really great because we were with our kids, and Iceland has a lot of folklore and legends and stories, and our children loved that aspect of it. They have a lot of myths about trolls that lived in the mountains and elves that lived in these different areas. And one thing my children also loved is they have 12 or 13 Santas. They have thirteen. Yeah. Thirteen. They have <laughs> yeah. thirteen Santas, and my kids thought that was the most fascinating thing. And these Santas are more like trolls, mm-hmm. and some of them eat children. Like they have different <laughs> stories, and so it was really fun to experience the childlike side, the folklore, and the myths of the country.
1: Alex, how's it going to be for you when this adventure finishes? Because you've got this family of five that you're really, you'd be attached to, incredibly attached to. You'd be like a family member. When this adventure finishes, what will you go on to do and and how will you kind of detach yourself from from living with a family 24-7?
6: I think it's always hard, you know, goodbyes are always hard. And I think, you know, because we're in such an intimate, you know, You know, surrounding, we're always together. We're traveling together and having all these experiences. Obviously, we, you know, I I already feel very fond of the the family, and I feel we've already gone very close. So I can't imagine how hard it will be in a year's time. But I think that. You know, you've got to remember to live in the present,
1: to enjoy the now. Well, thank you, ladies, for chatting. And, Kenzie, if you could just send through on email the name of that spot Alex was talking about. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: So we could put that in show notes, too. That would be fantastic.
4: I will do that for sure. That's why I said, I'm like, I want you on there just so you can pronounce all the places that I'm like, yeah, let's go see this waterfall. I can't tell you how to say it. Yeah.
1: We will include a pronunciation guide in the show notes along with a link to five, take flight. Great story. Now, you may remember that trumpet fanfare that Phil used in the podcast on Panama to introduce Ask Phil. It was terrible. <laughs> really, it was. The nicest possible way. I've got a present for you, Phil. Let's see if you like this.
0: And now, Ask Phil.
2: Oh, I like that much better. That's better. That's our narrator. That's our friend John.
1: Yep. We might meet him in the Christmas special. Oh, but
2: good idea. Let's get him on. He's
1: got a voice where he just want to – can you keep talking?
2: I know. I know. And a really interesting man too.
1: Yep. Okay. So, I, right.
2: Here's a question for everybody out there. To, just from hearing his, you know, narrator voice on the beginning of the show, where do you think he's from?
1: Oh, awesome quiz question. There you go. Yeah. All right. All right. Ask Phil.
2: Uh, Okay, a really simple question, but one that's always on the lips of world nomads. How do you save money? Daniel asked, how to travel cheaply in Iceland? Where should I shop? Or go rent a car? Good question, Daniel, because Iceland can be very expensive. Just the demand for accommodation makes it one of the most expensive Airbnb destinations in the world. But help is at hand from our community of nomads. What are they? Nomads. Uh, Keith was one of the nomads who suggested stocking up on duty free alcohol at Keflavik Airport on the way into Iceland. He said If you plan on drinking in Reykjavik bars, make sure to take advantage of each establishment's happy hours. Drinks will be half price compared to normal hours there's a happy hour app Available as well as a free weekly newspaper in English that lists all the happy hours in town. I like that one. That's very good. Kurt chipped in with, uh, not an inexpensive location. Car rentals are almost essential and they run much higher than the rest of Europe. Petrol or diesel fuel is expensive, as you might expect on an island with no oil resources. Restaurants are, and then he's on a lot of dollar signs, for the most part, unless you're willing to eat lots of hot dogs that are available at every service station, every fuel station.
1: Or sheep's tent. As Ingo was saying earlier, oh,
2: sheep's head. I oh, know. Okay, uh, and Heather reminded us that many of the parks, hiking trails, and waterfalls are actually free. There's no park entry fees there, but sometimes spending a few dollars is worth it. She said, "The favourite spots to spend the money were the Blue Lagoon, about thirty-five US dollars; the Glacier Lagoon, riding the amphibian boat, about another thirty-five US dollars; and northern spot of the island to do the whale watching, about ninety US dollars per person. All worth it and awesome." Chris, who sounds like a hardcore traveller, suggested to save on lodgings, sleeping in your car or van is much cheaper than sleeping in hotels. Yeah,
1: but how about the winter temperatures? Well, he
2: goes, Be mindful, you can't just park your car anywhere. To be completely legal, you need to park in specified campsites found in most uh, villages. They typically cost uh, 10 to 15 bucks per person per night. But he says, w- uh, language warning don't be an asshole Icelanders have opened up their country for you to visit and it's disrespectful to just park your car wherever you want that's true look if you have a question about a destination that you'd like to ask the community or think you can provide some answers to help others explore their boundaries go to answers.worldnomads.com and ask a nomad
1: Well, due to the near-Arctic latitude with just over four hours of sunlight at times over winter, Phil, I think it's pretty fair to ask, do Icelandic people suffer seasonal affective disorder? To you and I, that's that depressive feeling you get in the middle of winter.
2: Yep, when you're sad.
1: Yeah. We'll get a more articulate definition very shortly. Uh, A bit of Googling suggests, strangely, that Icelandic people don't actually suffer from seasonal affective disorder. What? I know. We've turned to Professor Leon Lack, who teaches and conducts research in the areas of sleep, circadian rhythms and insomnia. Leon, thanks for joining us.
3: You're most welcome, Kim.
1: Well, you're a better authority on this topic than Google. What is seasonal affective disorder? (laughs)
3: Um, well, uh, it's been given a nice little acronym called SAD. S A D. Uh, really, the older term for it is winter depression, and it's been known for a long time, but uh, only studied more carefully fairly recently. And it uh, it seems to it seems to come on um, in the uh, mid to late autumn, depending on latitude. Again, how far you are away from the equator it comes on a little bit earlier if you're further away from the equator and it is just a mild depression that sets in uh, a gloominess one of the contributors to the seasonal affective disorder is the decreasing amount of ambient light uh, in the environment particularly in the winter time uh, as we go, as we come into winter and particularly at the northern more northern latitudes where uh, the sun may not come up until uh, eight or nine o'clock in the morning, and then when it does come up, it only reaches an angle of maybe fifteen or twenty degrees at the best in the middle of the day, and then it drops back down again. So it's, uh, there's a really very large decrease in ambient lights. That
2: available. that sounds that sounds like my worst nightmare. I hate those days. Yeah, I hate that.
1: I couldn't agree more. So how do you and Phil and I were just saying prior to the chat? You know, here um, where we are in Sydney, Australia, we get uh, cues on when it's dark. It's time to go to bed. When it's light, it's time to get up. But looking at Iceland, for instance, where you, in the depths of winter, probably only get three or four hours of, of daylight, and then in summer, 24 hours of daylight, what effect does that yep. have on your body?
3: Well, I mean, this is one that we're talking about. Uh, uh, there, there are other changes in people's behaviour, of course, and they're, they're awake and out uh, more during the summertime than they are during the winter time. Uh, some studies have shown that in Sweden and in Scandinavian countries, uh, they sleep uh, almost up to an hour more during the wintertime than they do in the summertime. So when it is sunnier and warmer outside, they, they spend more time awake. And I can well imagine that even before artificial electric lights, uh, that would have been even truer, probably, that difference between uh, winter and, and summer in those northern latitudes. Uh, We know a lot about our body's body clock, our circadian rhythms, these rhythms that vary on a 24-hour basis and help to prepare the body for being awake across the day and help it sleep at nighttime by small variations in a lot of physiological variables like core body temperature, like melatonin secretion. Virtually every physiological measure you can take shows this Circadian variation across the 24 hours, and all of those physiological, hormonal changes and, and neurotransmitter changes that are taking place, reaching their high at one time during the 24-hour period and a low at some other time, are all linked together normally in a in a person who has a regular nighttime sleep, daytime awake function, and it helps people sleep at nighttime. It helps them be more alert and awake during the day. So, although we think of ourselves as sort of warm-blooded animals whose body temperature never changes, that's not really strictly true. It does change, not very much, but it uh, goes down during the nighttime and goes up during the daytime. That affects all of the body's uh, biological, biochemical processes because they uh, work more quickly when uh, they're warmer and they work less quickly when they're cold. And so we can even measure uh, differences in reaction times much slower uh, at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning than at 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening. Uh, our alertness and uh, our cognitive capacity varies very dramatically across the 24-hour period. And so it prepares the body for sleep uh, during the night and wake during the day. But if those rhythms begin, become out of sync with the 24-hour period, then that can cause problems. What are some tips for jet lag? Ah, okay. Uh, We just gave some tips for jet lag to the Socceroos, in fact, because they had to fly from Honduras to Sydney, a seven time zone uh, shift. And what we recommended was that they needed to delay their body clock to readjust to Sydney time. If they were adjusted to Honduran time in Central America, uh, then their body clock doesn't adjust very quickly. Bright light uh, helps to uh, ease that adjustment, so we uh, recommended they keep themselves outside in the sunshine when they arrived in Sydney as late as possible in the evening because that late evening light has the effect to delay the body clock, and they needed to delay their body clock so the, the dead zone uh, in their rhythm, which on Honduran time, now transposed to Sydney, was probably 9 or 10 o'clock in the evening but that is exactly the time they had to play the game against Honduras four days later. So we got them exposed to a lot of sunlight in the evening and then when they went indoors we gave them more light, we used these uh, retimer devices which provides additional artificial light to help uh, speed that delay of the body clock and hopefully they move that Z dead zone back into their sort of conventional time of three or four a.m. in the morning and so at nine or ten o'clock at night uh, they were still functioning quite well but won the game.
1: Well, it's going to be interesting for the Icelandic team who've made the World Cup for the first time, heading to Russia yep. and trying to stay awake.
3: That's right. Well, that's a big time zone change for them, uh, so they may need some advice as well. But the best advice when you're flying overseas across a lot of time zones is try to stay outside in the sunshine during the day as much as you can. Uh, if you do have melatonin, uh, you can take melatonin in the evening uh, when you go to bed. That also it's a small effect to help uh, shift the body clock timing.
1: Excellent Leon. Thank you so much for taking time to have a chat to us.
3: That's fine, Kim.
2: Wow, that was interesting. I just that, that's amazing. A bit of light, stay outside in yep. the sunshine. See I've got I've I've always had a theory about when um, get back to help cure jet lag because yeah. I live in Sydney, Australia. And, you know, beautiful beaches here. Now, go and have a plunge in the ocean. Yeah, so that helps. you know that's a really good. One. But that's it. You're outside in the sunlight. That's yeah. the point.
1: That helps with a hangover too, Phil.
2: <laughs> well, that's well, that's my other theory about avoiding jet lag. By the way, when you get somewhere and you're out of zone. Go out and get really hammered because then when you wake up, you're not sure whether you're jet-lagged or hungover. (laughs) Just the usual cure, you know, lasagna (laughs) and a Mars bar and you're okay.
1: (laughs) Don't listen to any of our (laughs) advice, right? Okay. (laughs) Actually, Phil, I should point out, it's suggested the Icelandic diet, which is high in omega-3, is possibly the main reason there's a lower prevalence of seasonal affective disorder. Now, have you got some travel news for us?
2: I've got lots of travel news for you. Here we go. Big news of the week is the demise of Zimbabwe's Robert Mugabe. Hooray! Are we allowed to say that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully this will mean a change for the better for the country, which has suffered badly over the past 37 years. All that hyperinflation, like unbelievably difficult.
1: What will they do with his money?
2: Um, Uh, just lop a few zeros off and start again. I don't know. Look, hopefully it changes. I mean, I think they're Mugabe supporters who are going to take over from him, but look, fingers crossed, because how wonderful would it be to have a Zimbabwe back as a functional and safe destination to go and export. Now, the only part of Zimbabwe still attracting a decent number of travellers is Victoria Falls. Very beautiful, very famous falls. The tourism infrastructure for the falls is on the Zimbabwean side, not the Zambian side, and it's always operated kind of in its own bubble. I don't think that change much it stays relatively safe there check out the world nomads travel safety advice for victoria falls the link is in the show notes plus have a look at the amazing pictures of the devil's pool this is a patch of calm water uh, right on the edge of the falls where you can plunge right in and it's relatively safe but you can lean over the edge and have a look down the 350 foot drop whilst you're in the water
1: oh i've seen this that's yep. No, no, I couldn't do it. I'm so scared of heights. I couldn't do it. And and isn't there kind of a natural ledge that stops you from falling over?
2: Well, hopefully, yes. (laughs) Otherwise,
1: it's 300 metres down.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, look, the thing is, um, you know, go with a guide. Don't try and find this place on your own. Go with a guide. Um, Try it out if you're a daredevil type. But I'm sorry if it's not covered, by the way, for your travel insurance. So just be super careful. Thanksgiving this year set new records for travel in the United States with 51 million people taking to the roads, rails and airways. And that's only those who travelled more than 50 miles from home. So if you're just popping around the corner to a mum and pop to have some turkey, you're not counting. That's millions more. Crazy stuff. Um, So uh, uh, 89% of people travelled by car despite the higher gas prices this year. But those who chose to fly somewhere had the best deal in quite a while because airfares are 23% less lower this year than they were at the same time last year. Cool. Uh, We hope your travels were safe and celebrations with family were full of love and gratitude now onto the holiday season for you guys Uh, Not much uh, joy like that for European travellers last week with a combination of an air traffic control failure in Amsterdam and strike action in Italy causing hundreds of flights to be cancelled and creating long delays for travellers Don't forget all World Nomads travel insurance policies have a benefit for unexpected expenses incurred. Incurred by Ooh. cancellation and delay.
1: Is there a cut-off, though? You can't go sick.
2: Uh, no. Look, it doesn't get you to your location any faster, but if you've got those out-of-pocket expenses because your flight's been delayed, yep. put in a claim. We'll uh, We'll cover most of those for you.
1: That's excellent. Well, before we sign off... What is the answer to your quiz question? <laughs> Yay, we remembered
2: it. Uh, hang on, where is it? I've fine. forgotten. <laughs> You've got to find it. <laughs> Here we go. What was my quiz question? Oh, what happened to the trees?
1: Yeah, what happened to the trees in Iceland? It used to be covered in forest. 40% forest. 40%, it's, yeah. down,
2: it's down. Or in the middle of the last century, it got down to 1% coverage. So they've had this massive regeneration program going on and they're hoping to get it back up to 12% by 2100. But what happened to them all is... The Vikings. The Vikings chopped them all down to make boats. Well, well, they're not actually very big trees, so they're not good for. But they use them for fuel and for timber. Oh, okay. And they also introduced sheep to the island. So, and because sheep like to eat the saplings the population of trees was decimated. And because of the climate, they don't grow back very fast at all. So it used to be very, very wooded, and they're trying to do their bit for global warming by regrowing the trees there.
1: i tell you what, you redeemed yourself. You couldn't find the answer to the question. Not a piece of paper. I still don't have the
2: piece of paper in front of me.
1: That was was a really (laughs) super interesting quiz question. Thank you. That wraps up Episode 4 of the World Nomads podcast on Iceland. Now you can find us on iTunes. Please subscribe, rate, share, Stitcher, Podbean and Google Play, our email address too. We must let everyone know that's Uh, how you can contact us directly.
2: It is podcasts at worldnomads.com.
1: Now, in our next episode, we are off to South Africa and we'll hear the amazing story of a man who went from culling great white sharks to preserving them.
0: The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.